And hello and welcome to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Thank you so very much for tuning in to our Thursday show. Love, love our Thursday shows. We have one special guest. We spend a whole hour talking to him or her. And today we have Mark Morano joining us. He's an author and a widely respected advocate for simply truth about climate change truth about climate. He is a prolific writer and author. I will tell you, if you're listening to this show on radio, I'll quickly tell you at the bottom of the hour, 30 minutes after the hour, uh, you'll go off to a commercial break. We will not, but stay right with us. You'll come back after three minutes. Love to have you stay the whole hour. And everyone listening on radio or any other way, you can also watch all of our past shows, interviews on our website, americacanwetalk.org, americacanwetalk.org, also want to plug again our October 15th summit. We're having our third annual Women for Freedom Summit coming up on October 15th. I will go later and tell you a little bit more about it, but I will tease by saying we now have uh, got Laura, Lo Laura Logan coming. Laura Logan will be here in Dallas in person. Uh, she recently created the film. She produced the film, Selection Code, related to, to the uh, theft of the elections in America and especially focused on what occurred in Colorado with Tina Peters. Tina Peters also speaking at the summit, a fabulous lineup. You'll want to mark your calendar and come to Dallas the weekend of October 15th for just an incredible stellar lineup of speakers, all very serious, all substantive, no slogan slingers. We're talking truth about America and what each of us can be doing in America to save this country. Now we'll turn and talk to our gentleman we're interviewing today. His name is Mark Morano. And um, I actually had his books in our house before I was really even paying attention to uh, him and, and all of his activism. But Mark Morano, uh, his newest book, which I'll ask uh, Mr. Emilio, a wonderful producer, to put up on the screen so you can see it, called The Great Reset. Uh, and I love the subtitle, Global Elites and the Permanent Lockdown, Absolutely the Truth. But that's his new book. I actually couldn't get a copy before today's show, so I only have it on my iPad. But another book he's written, which I will be asking, talking with him about, is called Green Fraud, Why the Green New Deal is Even Worse Than You Think. It looks like this. And as you know, we've talked on my show many, many, many times about the idea that the Green New Deal and the radical environmentalism of today gets a lot of headway and a lot of steam because many people assume they don't know enough about climate and they're not climatologists, so we simply must defer to the alleged experts and we end up surrendering our freedom. And in America and around the world today with the Green New Deal being pushed in so many different ways, uh, we're losing or watching what's happening, the devastating effects of the Green New Deal policies on farmlands, on farmers, on countries around the world. And so I want to just cannot wait to dive in and talk with Mark Morano about what is the truth about climate and climate change. Let's welcome to the show, Mark Morano. Thank you very much. Thank you, Debbie. Thank you. Great to see you. Thank you for joining me today. Well, I will just tell you my little intro thing I often say in my show and let you take off. I remember years ago when Rush Limbaugh used to say, environmentalism is the new home is the new home of the socialist movement. And he, he basically said, where all the radical socialists have gone, they're in the environmental yeah. movement. And I used to think, now, come on. I mean, maybe they're proposing policies that we don't like. They're too extreme or they're unwise. But to link climate activism with the social radical, socialist radical left, um, I just kind of rolled my eyes. Uh, not anymore. I do see it now. But this is, I think, that the nub and the concern so many people have is how do you help people see that the climate alarmism agenda is really a political agenda 
and that the policies they are proposing are simply unnecessary. They are extreme reactions. So I know that's not really a question. It's kind of a loaded uh, opening statement. But let me just start with your, your book, uh, The Green Fraud. It's a yes. great, great book. You write really well. So let me just start with, if you, uh, I've had in our life, we've had family members and extended family just say, how can you not believe in climate change? Or how, and, and they don't mean change. I mean, how can you not believe we have a radical problem with climate change? So let me just start with that. Is the climate agenda movement arguing that we are facing near, you know, soon extinction or great danger? Is it based on science or something else? It's absolutely based on politics. And what you just said about what Rush Limbaugh said, uh, Rush Limbaugh was ahead of his time when the Soviet Union fell and Eastern, Eastern Europe collapsed, Berlin Wall came down. We were all thinking the Cold War is over. There's going to be peace, dividend, capitalism, free markets have won. None of that panned out for one simple reason. The entire Marxist central control left moved to the environmental movement. And it was actually led by people like Mikhail Gorbachev, who just recently passed away, became a big internet European green advocating for the same kind of policies that were in the Soviet Union in the green movement. Former, and I interview for the film Climate Hustle, and he's in, he's in green fraud, and I actually quote him in The Great Reset, is uh, Vaclav Klaus, the former president of Czech Republic, who was the, lived under communism most of his life. And he said, once the fall of the Soviet Union fell, the greatest threat to individual liberty came from what he called ambitious environmentalism or the climate in the climate movement. And we also, I also interviewed Dr. Richard Lindzen of MIT, who said, it's amazing how once the Soviet Union collapsed, all the same ideas attached itself to the environmental movement. And if you listen to Greta Thunberg or her advisor, uh, the UK, George Mombiot, he openly talks about ending capitalism, putting it in the dustbin of history, closing all animal farms, stopping meat. I mean, these are radicals that are hiding behind this. Oh, we care about the planet. And I detail that. Uh, you asked me about the agenda. In Green Fraud, the chapter on the man-made global cooling chapter, in other words, fossil fuels, uh, before fossil fuels caused global warming, fossil fuels caused man-made global cooling. They believed our fossil fuels were blocking aerosols, were blocking the sun and creating a national security threat, bad weather, it's the exact same thing. Well, they came up with the Green New Deal in the 1970s. That was exactly like the modern Green New Deal. It's all about wealth redistribution, central planning, and uh, sovereignty limiting treaties and control over every aspect of your life. This was happening. So whether it's overpopulation, resource scarcity, uh, Amazon rainforest deforestation, species extinction, climate change, COVID, the solution is always the same. Empower the, the unelected bureaucrats and empower government leaders. All the power flows from the people. We lose our rights. We lose our freedom. We lose property. We lose autonomy. We lose freedom of movement. It all goes to the government. And that has been proven since the 1960s. Every environmental scare, regardless of the scare, had the same solution. More government, more control, more sovereignty limiting international agreements. You know, I will tell you, again, I want, really want to praise your, the book that I was able to read because we, I have it in physical copy. I wasn't yes. able to read the, your newest one, but The Green Fraud, Why the Green New Deal is Even Worse Than You Think. 
I love how you parallel and lay out so many things you were just alluding to, that the agenda of the left, the agenda of the people who are advocating for extreme environmental change, environmental laws, uh, hasn't changed in decades. It, it's always about, at the end of the day, it's always about more control the government has, and now it's a very international. It's not just uh, government control at the federal level in America and other countries. It's a very uh, international uh, movement. I want to dive more into that, but first I want to go back. So what do you say, though? Because there are people who, are who say, I am so deeply concerned, I am deeply concerned about the um, level of CO2. We keep adding CO2 to the atmosphere. We have to make some change to that. Do they have a point that CO2 is a danger and that the levels of CO2 we're now seeing are really a danger or not? No, they don't. And this was actually, this was a political movement behind this. Now, if I were giving you a talk or I was in, I have a, I have a whole series of charts that I present when, I, when I'm in person, but basically here's the bottom line. And, and they're, they're, these are in the film, Climate Hustle, Climate Hustle 2. And I write about it in the books, but I don't have many charts in the books just because of the way the, you know, the publisher works. But here's the gist. 90% of Earth's geologic history has had lower CO2 levels, I'm sorry, higher CO2 levels than today. 90% of Earth's geologic history has been warmer than today. In other words, you can't hold ice. 90% of our history was too warm to have ice at either pole. So we are now currently in the 10%, geologically speaking, of the coldest period in Earth's history and the lowest CO2 level. Uh, the premier expert on the greenhouse gas, Dr. Will Happer, Princeton University, physicist, 200 peer-reviewed studies, testified before the United States Senate that Earth is currently in a CO2 famine, historically speaking. Now, if you look at the temperature chart, and I, and I show this, Al Gore's temperature chart where he gets up on the elevator and shows how high CO2 is, what he doesn't show you, he only shows you a few hundred, I think a few hundred thousand years. If you go back in the Earth's history, millions of years, and beyond, you will see CO2 dwarfing anything Al Gore is claiming today with this CO2 level. So even government charts show that past temperatures were much, much warmer than today. When the UN started, they showed the medieval warm period much warmer than today. And they actually started a campaign. We had a scientist testify before the U.S. Senate that scientists from the UN affiliated came to him and said, we have to get rid of the medieval warm period because it was ruining the climate narrative of unprecedented warmth. Now, currently, the heat waves, we're hearing a lot about the California heat wave. Heat waves in the United States absolutely were at their worst in the decade of the 1930s. How do we know this? Joe Biden's EPA has the chart that shows that heat waves in the 1930s were about seven to 10 times hotter than anything we've seen in recent, the last 40, 50 years. So the question then becomes, how do they have that narrative? So now we have a scientist from Texas leading the campaign to get rid of the 1930s heat wave. They go back and change the data. But to answer your question simply, there are hundreds of factors that influence the climate, uh, tilt of the Earth's axis, water vapor, methane, ocean cycles, clouds, the sun. Uh, and so the idea that carbon dioxide, which is one of the factors, they trace essential gas in the atmosphere, humans inhale oxygen, we exhale carbon dioxide. The United Nations and climate activists essentially claim that that is the control knob of the climate and that rising CO2, even though it's at a trace amount in the atmosphere, is the danger and that this is gonna cause a climate catastrophe. It doesn't add up. Even the underlying reports of the UN it basically admit this. They tell you that hurricanes, floods, droughts, tornadoes, 
and wildfires are either no trend or declining trends on climate timescales of 50 to 100 years. You can always find a trend if you say the last eight years, there's been an increase in this for the last 12 years. But if you look at an overall picture, like I mentioned heat waves, you know, if you pick 1930s forward, we've had less heat waves. If you pick the 1970s forward, we have more heat waves. 1970s were the global cooling. So these are the kind of games, and a word about polar bears, Polar bears are disappearing, but only from Al Gore's books and movies. His first film made the polar bear the icon of the global warming movement, the endangered polar bear, the melting ice. Since his movie came out in 2006, polar bear numbers have exploded. They're at or near historic population highs. They've never counted this many. The indigenous people of the uh, Arctic admit this. It's so embarrassing that Gore did a sequel in 2017, both his movie and book, never once mentioned the polar bears. As a poster child for warming, they just, poof, disappeared. So I guess they're endangered, but only in Al Gore's movies. So that's an example. But the way the climate activists still scare children about polar bears, they misdirect. In other words, when current reality fails to alarm, we have record number of polar bears, let's make a scarier prediction of the year 2100 than we had before. So they'll say, it's worse than we thought for polar bears. You'll say, how is it worse? There's more than we've ever counted. Well, our predictions now of 50 to 100 years are way worse than they were just a few years ago. That's the climate con that we're dealing with. I love everything you just said. I want to go back. One thing I was going to ask you, and uh, maybe we can just run, do this as we run through the sure. show, but... I, what you need to be able to do to get people on board to agree that the climate change agenda is itself political and not scientific, you've got to help them understand that the facts that they're told, the slogans they hear, the fears that they hear expressed are, are not based in fact. CO2 is a huge one. So I want to make sure you something you just said. 90% of world history and being able to trace back and understand the uh, history of, of the uh, temperature of the earth, or history of CO2, 90% of the time of Earth's history had a higher level of CO2 than we have today. Is that accurate? Much higher, yes. Okay, so what I want to get at is, if that is the case, well, I mean, I agree it is. I, I've read your books, I, I mean, every year on, on Earth Day, all sorts of any climate events, I run through things like this. It's staggering. That fact alone, it seems like it would help debunk climate change alarmism all by itself because CO2 level is the big, the big boogeyman that's supposed to keep you awake at night and, and hate your car and hate people who drive SUVs. How does this fail to penetrate, like that fact alone, how does that fail to penetrate in the scientific community? Well, they will look at these charts and they'll claim this is the ancient earth that doesn't apply to today. This is before we built up civilization. And yeah, we, you know, if sea levels were to rise where they were in the past, but keep in mind, sea levels, by the way, have been rising for 10,000 years since the end of the last ice age. And there's no showing no acceleration in tide gauge data of an acceleration. But essentially, I call them, they're basically, they're, they're ancient earth history deniers. They're geologic earth history deniers. And what they claim, and the reason they try to instill the fear, are their climate models, where they basically say these feedbacks, because it's man-made CO2 doing it this time, they'll say that the past was natural CO2 cycles of oceans you know, outgassing and trees and everything absorbing and oceans re reabsorbing the CO2, but that we've messed up a natural cycle somehow. And the weird thing about that is that you could, and Greenpeace co-founder, Dr. Patrick Moore, an ecologist, 
PhD scientist who's testified many times in front of Congress, done studies. He actually explains that right now, the, the man-made CO2 we're putting in the atmosphere, far from upsetting a natural balance, is restoring the natural balance. Because the climate activists would claim, well, it's upsetting it. It's not natural. The idea is, regardless of where it came from in the, in the history of the Earth, it was still CO2. But they're saying because it's man, it's not natural, so we're upsetting a balance. But Dr. Patrick Moore, the Greenpeace the person who left Greenpeace in disgust now, explained that we're restoring the balance of nature. We're, by adding CO2, we're greening planet Earth. And actually, NASA has agreed with that. In 2013, a huge study showing that the Earth is greening, deserts are shrinking, crop yields have gone through the roof uh, with food. And so this is an example of, you know, they just want to deny that reality. So instead, and, and it's all about fear and control. They claim, so they don't have to argue. They, well, they won't even argue what we're talking about, Debbie. Instead, what they argue about is that 97% of all scientists agree and that anyone who does it is an anti-science denier. And that's the bottom line. And I tackle that head on in both books where I show that the 97% claim isn't even 97 scientists. It's 77 anonymous scientists who literally we don't know their names. We don't have any quotes from them. We don't know their affiliation, but they got a survey of 10,000 plus scientists, asked some questions that even skeptical scientists would agree, whittled the number down to 77 and declared a 97% consensus. I'm not making that up. 97% consensus of scientists, according to the first study on this, literally wasn't even 97 scientists. That's the game they played. The second study claimed another 97%. And I, a UN lead author looked at it and he said the study was literally pulled from thin air. So even the, the, a UN lead a scientist, the lead author of the United Nations Climate Report, rejected the second claim that they've tried to make. But the point of these claims is that so you can't debate or argue. The idea is unless you're a climatologist, you have no business challenging them. And it's the same argument we saw in COVID. If your child was masked eight hours a day in kindergarten, how dare you challenge public health? You're not an epidemiologist. You don't know what's best for your child. Listen to the expert. You're exactly right. I tell you, you're making, you're taking a lot of the points I was going to hit on. What <laughs> one, which is great, but one is is 97 percent. Because you know, I will tell you the the uh, fear that has been implanted in the hearts and minds of literally millions of people around the world, including Americans, especially millennials who have just grown up through the era where we had public schools pushing climate change as a serious fear. And you had public schools starting in the very young grades telling people that, yeah, it's really dangerous and, and, and uh, mankind is ruining the earth. And, and, and so and this 97% figure, figure is flung around. I've covered before what you were just talking about on my show that is not even a valid, there was no valid study that said 97%. There was no actual large study of informed climatologists but it has been so inbred in American, uh, in the public schools and in culture yeah. and that people just, they think, well, obviously, you know, there's a few crazy right wingers or people who are disputing this, but, you know, 97% scientists agree. I'm getting around to saying, I want to have, if you, if I leave here today and I run into a, you know, someone who's, and there are people like this, literally so afraid to live because of climate change, you, know, you want to hit some top facts with them. Did you know, for example, that 90% of Earth's history yeah. had more CO2 than we have now? Did you know that there was never 97% thin air or a concocted? And so extreme weather, extreme weather is not increasing. 
Sea levels rise is not accelerating, but sea levels been rising for 10,000 plus years since the end of the last ice age. Polar bear numbers are at record high. Heat waves were the worst in the 1930s, and like 75% of all U.S. state heat wave records occurred before the 1950s or before 1960. Uh, you could go on. I'm trying. You know, this. You know, when you look at the hurricanes, the floods, the droughts, the tornadoes. Each one of those is spectacular because they all pretty much show no trend or in case of hurricanes or even tornadoes, dramatic drops in the severe tornadoes. You would never know that. And this is an important point to make here. I'll see if I can make it the best analogy. The way they make it seem like the weather is unprecedented. And you watch the nightly news, you watch any you know, National Geographic, there's this storm happening and this and this broke a record. First of all, records are always broken all the time on earth, that's just a natural stat. But you look at the overall trends. In other words, if you have uh, 50 states, you're gonna have a record flood, one state, one corner of one state, you're gonna have a record drought somewhere, always little regional things. But what they've done is they've implied that it's happening globally all the time. You have to look at the big trends. So I liken it to a casino. If you have a slot machine, which we know are proven losers, people generally, don't, you don't win at a slot machine. But if you, every, if you went into a casino, and you talk to their marketing director and you saw their propaganda, you would see picture on the walls of everyone holding up the big cardboard checks. I won 10,000, I won 82,000, I won 19,000, I won 300,000 at a slot machine. You could start looking at that and you'd start thinking, gee, everyone's winning at slot machines. I need to go to the casino and play slots. Everyone's winning, look at this. I'm bombarded with all that. that that's indebted. But if you looked at the bigger picture, you'd realize that gambling was a losing proposition. Same thing with extreme weather. They can scare the hell out of you. Look at this drought, California, unprecedented heat wave, except for that it's not. California, unprecedented drought, except that it's not. And if you look at it, you know, the hurricane, you know, Hurricane Harvey, unprecedented, except that it's not. If you look at all of this from a climate timescales, the whole narrative crumbles. That's why they're doing this misdirection. Look at this bad weather. Look at this bad weather. Look, there's a storm here, a heat wave here, a flood here. And it's to create that same casino scientific effect where you think everyone's a winner. I need to be gambling. And in this case, they're lobbying on climate. You need to support the Green New Deal. You need to support the UN Paris Agreement. Because if you don't, bad weather is going to get you. It's like an old mob hit. You know, we'd love to, you know, we'd, yeah, we'd love, to, love to let you go on, but you're going to have to pay up because otherwise the, the bad weather is going to get you. And look at how bad it is. I mean, have I told you how bad it is? This is pure propaganda. And anyone who studies this for more than 10 minutes can easily find this. And that's why they don't debate anymore. There's like very little, if ever, any scientific debates on climate change. They've just, they decided after 2007, when they lost a huge New York City debate, where they turned a tough crowd of New Yorkers who believed in a climate crisis, several hundred New York audience, to after, with three on three scientists debating. Afterward, the entire audience flipped to skeptical one of those was the current head of NASA's climate science division, Gavin Schmidt. He announced to all of his colleagues, these debates aren't worth doing. We have to stop this. And, is, and everyone followed. CBS News announced they won't interview a climate denier for the same reason they won't interview a Holocaust denier. The CBS News anchor, Scott Pelley, actually announced that so publicly. So that's why there's no debate. Just like you couldn't, again, I had to tie this into current day. Just like you couldn't debate the origin of the Wuhan flu, if you did, you'd be deplatformed, canceled, defunded, uninvited from scientific conferences, cancel culture would get you. If you claimed 
that lockdowns weren't a good idea. Same thing would hit you. That's false misinformation. They didn't allow debates. They just unperson you. They made you irrelevant. That's such a great summary. And, you know, actually, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking later and go back and replay this. I do think for many people, uh, people, they don't want to be fooled. They don't want to feel like they're being played for fools, and they are. They don't want to feel like they're manipulated, but they don't feel like they have the facts. I mean, what you just laid out is beautiful and, and wonderful. These kind of facts to have them memorized and able to share them with people. And just your last point about, well, if climate change is such a certain science and the climate alarmists are 100% right, why wouldn't they debate? They would want to. They would want to say, look, look, look at all the evidence. What they're trying to say is, we have told you the truth, and we never have to talk about it again. And it is very yeah. much like the COVID crisis, very much like the COVID uh, attitude of those who decided COVID is the next best thing, which I guess is a good segue into, uh, but actually, yeah. before I get off of this with you, I want to be sure and tell our listeners, uh, we're speaking with Mark Morano, and uh, radio listeners, you're about to go off to a break. Don't go away. Come back after your three-minute break. We'll still be talking. Mark Morano is the author. His newest book is The Great Reset, Global Elites and the Permanent Lockdown, uh, and is a, has a, a foreword by Sebastian Gorka, really brilliant guy and really brilliant foreword. Uh, the book I have, a physical book I have here is this one, Green, The Green Fraud, Why the Green New Deal is Even Worse Than You Think, with a foreword by Mark Stein, another brilliant writer. Um, and previous to that, this uh, author, Mark Morano, wrote The Politically Incorrect Guide to Climate Change, which I will tell you is a funny thing. We moved recently. We cleaned out our house and moved to a smaller house. We had a downsize. So we're cleaning off the bookshelves. And somehow over the years, I bought three different copies of that one book of yours. <laughs> like, look, because I kept thinking, I can all learn these facts. Um, he also yeah. are the producer. You are the producer of Climate Hustle in 2016 and Climate Hustle 2, Rise of the Climate Monarchy in 2020. Um, and these are really, you have been at it for years trying to just lay out facts lay out what is really true, which then points out to, points people to the question of, well, then why is all this alarmism, alarmism perpetuating? Why are, is every institution in America still worshiping in the feet of it? Why is government still playing along? How is it we're not able to pierce this hysteria? Because it's not like it's an abstract intellectual debate. It ends up impacting your freedom. And your, your, your future. Yeah. So I want, let's turn to that and talk about it. So how bad is it? If we listen to the climate extremists, the alarmists, so what do they want to do to us that's so bad? <laughs> All right, well, we've listened to Greta Thunberg, the teen activist, who said, I want you to be afraid. I want you to panic. Basically, the earth is in a climate emergency. Now, that's the premise of the United Nations. That's the premise of the mainstream media. That's the premise of professors and academia. That's the, the premise of all the youth climate activists, that we're in an emergency, we have to act. The reason they want that is because when you are in emergency, when you are panicked, again, think of COVID in March of 2020, you don't have time to calmly and rationally weigh all your options. And that's exactly what the pushers of the theory want. Because they know if you have time to calmly look at it and intellectually go over it and debate it, they're not going to win. So they use this fear and this urgency and this, the idea of a climate crisis or climate emergency to get what they want done. And <laughs> excuse me, what they want done is very simple. The progressive left, regardless of environmental scares, have wanted the same things. They want central planning, power flowing to the, the, essentially the bureaucrats and elected leaders and the, these non-government organizations and international organizations like the WHO, 
United Nations. And this is the whole trend towards things like the EU as well, where you just have these big bureaucratic super states that dictate all the rules. This is an ideology. So it goes back to Woodrow Wilson in 1913. I write about it in my book, you know, The Great Reset, this one. Uh, and it, and, it, and the, idea, the idea is the administrative state will take care of the masses, the public. They don't think that, they think that this ideology that has infected the U.S. government, but it's been at a controllable level, or at least it's been advancing slowly until COVID came. But the idea is, if left to our own devices, we humans, the unwashed masses, would create environmental crisis, climate crisis, racism, white supremacy. We would, uh, you know, inequity, all sorts of social ills. So we need credentialed experts to rule every aspect of our life. And I even in the book, the book you have Green Fraud, I show 1975, John Holdren, who later became Obama's science art, writes how he laments people being able to hop in their car, drive to a grocery store, get a six pack of beer and drive home. And the idea behind this is because it's so unearth friendly. So the idea behind this is he's a smart PhD intellectual. He knows better. These people can't be allowed to make these decisions. We need to be corralled like sheep, if you will, or herded up like farm animals so that we don't mess up the environment and mess up the, our, our surroundings. That's the ideology. It's a super state ideology. And you could call it you know, Marxism. You could call it fascism. You could call it central planning. You could call it any host of that. But what you can't call it is freedom. It's a form of tyranny. It takes away individual liberty. Now, in the book, I go through and explain how these emergency declarations, and that's what they're trying to do. Right now, remember Greta Thunberg's message is, we want you to panic. On the heels of the COVID emergency declaration, which Donald Trump signed, sadly, his greatest mistake of his presidency, in March of 2020, Joe Biden keeps extending that COVID emergency. Well, guess what? According to the Associated Press, Joe Biden is now set to declare a national climate emergency which will give him 130 new executive powers, give mayors and governors new executive powers. It's the same concept. We don't want any stinking democracy. I call it the Chinification of America, where we don't want parliament, we don't want Congress, we don't want House of Representatives, city councils, debating these because there might be the messiness of democracy. Instead, let's declare an emergency, act like China's one-party rule authoritarians, and just impose what we need to do. And by the way, that's exactly what happened in California. Governor Newsom declared a uh, executive order on electric cars and on gas powered cars. And then an unelected C California Air Resources Board uh, called CARB implemented the end of gas powered cars in California. And now at least a dozen more states are following. The Biden administration loves the idea. Europe is on that path. But this is how stuff happens. We don't get to vote because we're the unwashed masses. We don't get to decide whether we're allowed to eat meat as they shut down high yield agriculture all around the world in the name of net zero climacles. We don't get to decide whether we can drive a gas powered car. That's decided for us through executive order, through unelected bureaucrats, through the banking systems, through things like environment and social governance, through the World Bank saying they're not going to fund cars. A bank in Australia has announced they're not going to give out car loans to anyone buying a gas powered car because it's bad for the environment. We don't get to decide whether we vote ourselves no free speech as the Biden administration colludes with big tech to essentially violate nakedly violate the First Amendment by farming out the censorship to a government corporate collusion where the White House sends out a list of names, websites get rid of them, and big tech 
all these communications are coming out this week as we're speaking, Debbie. So we don't get to vote on whether we want blackouts or brownouts or whether we're going to ban energy that's proven fossil fuels. We never got to vote on that. The Green New Deal was introduced in Congress. There was never a vote. There was never a hearing. There was never a town hall. Why? Because Biden went through executive order. Biden went through every cabinet agency implementing climate agenda through the administrative state, including the Treasury Department, defunding fossil fuel projects, defunding fossil fuel projects, particularly in states like Texas, Pennsylvania, uh, West Virginia. So this is what we're facing. This is not a democracy. And the idea, what you, you opened the show, Debbie, talking about the Soviet Union collapse, that's the ideas that came from that. The idea is the, the, the masses which we're never used to calling ourselves the masses, but the general population literally can't, can't handle be the freedom because they'll ruin everything. And we need experts to rule our lives and make the decision of what we'll eat, what we'll drive, how much energy we'll have, what we can say and what we can't say. It's for our own good, if you remember from the COVID debate. Yes, that's just a brilliant summary, brilliant summary. And it's exactly that mindset, that elitist ruling class cabal mindset that says, we know what's best. You people can't figure it out, whether it's COVID, whether it is climate change or any other yeah. issue, the ruling class will decide. But, you know, I had this thought about that. Um, even right after Al Gore came out and the, there was uh, pretty much the entire scientific community got on board with this alarmism, but yes. there have been since the very, since the whole first time or close to the time that Al Gore wrote his book, there have been scientists, actual climatologists, educated people challenging it and saying, but actually the science doesn't bear this out and pointing out what was so wrong with the big hockey stick, uh, you know, UN graph and what was so wrong with, and, and it's just, I, I find it rather amazing. And, and I'll get around to saying there's that CO2 coalition now that is, yeah. that is pointing out for what the thing you mentioned earlier that the presence of more CO2 right now is really good as greening the earth. You know, we, they used to say about the rainforest is dying. Now the rainforest is exploding and the green things are growing. The scientific community keeps on bringing out truth, a CO2 coalition is one. The other one I mentioned and went great length on my show to go over was recently the SEC had some announcement about a new rule that was going to come out and they were going to have this new rule further requirements for companies under ESG to explain precisely and exactly how they're going to comply with climate change, uh, transparency, blah, blah. So there were yeah. two, yeah, two uh, doctors. One was, I think it was an MIT guy and a Princeton guy who wrote a beautiful 21-page brilliant comment as you're permitted to do when SEC rules are floating. You can write a comment. And they explained they, they, their little summary, which I kept saying when I show over and over, there's no reason for this. There yeah. is no reason for this. So I, I said, you know, don't you think someone in media would pick this up and say, why would these two brilliant people? But the media is just just ignores it, deafening silence. So, I, I mean, I, yeah. They, they did the same thing with the Barrington Declaration yes. about COVID against lockdowns. In fact, they went further. We now know that Fauci and uh, the, the Francis Collins all colluded behind the scenes to shut them down in the media. Yep. But I think, I believe the paper you're talking about was written by Will Happer, Princeton physicist, and uh, Dr. Richard Lindzen, MIT climate scientist. It was a brilliant paper, but what the, what the Biden administration SEC is doing is essentially they know they can never get this through Congress. Remember, this is the Chinification of America. Bypass democracy and do it all through the administrative state. That's what we're dealing with. That's what COVID was all about. And so what they're doing is 
they're forcing companies now to disclose climate risk, whatever that means, uh, how much their company contributes to climate change. And it's all strictly, you know, just we're just monitoring now. But they're going to then use that as part of an environmental social governance score. And environmental ESG is essentially a Chinese social credit system. Right. There was a great a spoof video that was just released this week. It showed a Texas oilman going into a, a, you know, a bank that's ESG run and essentially saying, I'd like to get a loan. I have all these workers. We have a lot of oil in the ground. We want to get it out. And the person taking the loan starts say, saying, oh, okay, well, sir, here are my pronouns. They spend about 10, 15 seconds giving them their pronouns. Then they start asking them about their social equity, their trans policies, their racial comp composition of the company, all these other woke concerns. And by the end of it, the, the oil man's like, I don't, I, I don't know about any of that. We just want to, we want to drill for oil. We need a loan. And the guy's like, I'm sorry, you don't qualify. That in a nutshell is what ESG is. It's taken profit, profit out of the equation. And essentially a company has to follow the woke ideology that you'd find on your average state run college campus, or you're not getting a loan, or you're going to have trouble getting money, or you're going to be paying much higher interest rates. And to give you a point, Sri Lanka had the highest, I think it was 97% ESG score, whereas the U.S. is only in the 50s. Sri Lanka's actual country collapsed because they shut down modern uh, high-yield agriculture. And the, and the peasants, if you will, overran the palace, talk about an insurrection, and started swimming in the swimming pool and the leader was exiled. That's what happens with high ESG scores in the real world. Absolutely. That was, I, I celebrate that on my show too, that just see these, these You're an people. Insurrectionist. Oh my gosh. Yeah. They were real insurrectionists and they were right. They couldn't get the government to listen as it's happening in the farming in Western Europe. Many farmers trying to yeah. say, your policies are killing us. We can't farm. Please stop. And so, you know, I just, I, I, I what I ultimately feel, I, I don't want to, to, push violence, but I, we are at this point on so many issues where you simply cannot get the government to listen. You can't get the government to listen. The media suppresses the truth. They suppress conservative views of all kinds, and they continue to push the left-wing narrative. And I, one of the little um, kind of psychological aspect of all this I wanted to touch on briefly, you hear people say, well, you know, I don't know how extreme the climate problem is, but, you know, I don't mind sacrificing if I have to drive a Prius instead of my SUV. I mean, for the greater good of mankind, I don't mind. Yeah. And I will and say, if what you're sacrificing for, if we were in the middle of World War II and we truly had a shortage and we've got to work together as a country to come together to help the military build up, so everyone sacrifice something, people say yes for genuinely justified sacrifice reason, of course you will. But they play on that capacity of Americans of wanting to do the right thing, wanting to sacrifice. And so they say, well, maybe we're not really right about climate, but just, you know, just give up all your freedom and live in the, in the centralized area where you're being assigned to live because then you're being a better person. That's part of the challenge people speaking the truth about climate change yes. have to try to address. Yeah, in fact, the EU commissioner just yesterday or two days ago said, we need to flatten the energy curve in Europe. I mean, literally using that COVID language. Remember, the idea behind COVID lockdowns was we're going to temporarily suspend civil liberties, churches closed, weddings canceled, funerals, all of that. But the idea was they never quite got rid of it. As I said, we're still living under a COVID emergency. So adding to that, with, uh, your, um, the, the COVID climate connection here is, is amazing because 
it's the exact same template. When you declare a COVID emergency, every blue state governor, mayor became a virtual dictator overnight. In LA, they empowered people. If you saw your neighbor having a barbecue outside with too many people, not only could snitches get rewards in the words of Mayor Garcetti of Los Angeles, but you could also then have their utility shut off the person violating it. Yep. So this leads to the whole thing of the, that level of control. The United Nations is, is uh, joining up with MasterCard to do a credit card called Dokotomy that monitors your carbon footprint. When you hit your carbon max, it cuts off your ability to spend money. And we're finding this, Joe Biden has just done a national digital central bank, the, the yep. digital currency order. We saw what happened in Canada with the protesters, uh, the Freedom Convoy who protested the COVID lockdowns and vaccine mandates. Justin Trudeau declared him um, terrorist and then worked government uh, banking collusion made it so these bankers couldn't access their own money from the banks which they had accounts. This is our future if we allow it. This is where panic, fear, and emergency declarations inevitably lead us. That's why I say emergency declarations going back to Rome, Middle Ages, Germany, 1930, have led to the greatest abuses of human rights. And that's where we are now, still under a COVID emergency, about to be having a national climate emergency declared upon us. Okay, Mark Morano, you've been writing about this for uh, over a decade. You've been talking about it. You've been speaking. And I, I mean, I'm thrilled with what you do. You, you write really well, you're, and, and they're very well-researched books. You have experts. explain. In fact, you had a couple quotes in this book, in The Green, um, Green Fraud, of people who are active in the climate alarmism agenda who, in response to some questioning or interviews, say, well, actually, yeah, even if there weren't a climate issue at all, yes. we still will be doing the same thing. We want we want big government control. We want to have society under control. Climate's almost an excuse to get there, as was COVID an excuse to get there. Same mindset exactly. over and over and over. So you've been at this for a decade. How do we get out of this? How did the world get out of this climate lunacy and back to respecting truth and making policy based on truth? Well, I devote the whole last chapter of the book the Great Reset, uh, to the Great Reject, or the Great Resist. And I opened the chapter with Václav Klaus, the former president of Czech Republic, who yep. lived under communism, not, 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 uh, uh, not Klaus Schwab, but Václav Klaus, and there's yeah, a lot yeah. of Václavs. And he explained that during the Soviet Union and during the domination and growing up in the communism, they didn't call it social distancing like they did with COVID, but it was the same exact idea. They didn't want people to congregate. Remember, your right to assembly was, is always affected in totalitarian regimes because they're afraid you'll get together and you'll start plotting things and, uh, and to try to go against the government. So his point was we had to resist at every level. So in the book, I profile the most unexpected places that literally overturned the mask mandates and vaccine mandates in all of our major cities. It was angry parents at school board meetings creating a political rebellion against the critical race theory, against the transgender ideology, against COVID theater of masking uh, and vaccine mandates and lockdowns in the school. Parents willing to get arrested, dragged from these meetings. It turned Virginia, toppled the Democratic Party in Virginia, almost toppled them in New Jersey. This forced the Democratic Party to have a wake-up call. They did a, they did a, um, a focus group of their own members and found that their own members wanted to return to normal. The New York Times reported this. Within weeks, 
They had every major city from L.A. to Philadelphia to Baltimore, Washington, New York, and Boston all lift the back mandates and mask mandates because they had political terror in their heart. The voice of the people that welled up from angry parents at school board meeting. And I also talk about in the book how the Berlin Wall in 1989 didn't fall in East Germany because the East German government said, ah, you know, 40 years of Soviet domination, let's give them their freedom of time. It fell because the people no longer gave their consent to live under tyranny. And that's the bottom line. I can't even predict the ways in which we can rebel, but we have to start rebelling. We have to demand that our alleged defenders of freedom, the Republican Party, start challenging the narratives of COVID lockdowns, of COVID mandates, of climate change, of climate solutions, of green energy mandates, of the Green New Deal, of car bans, of agricultural shutdowns. Uh, we had to st start going after why is Bill Gates America's largest farmland owner? Why is China competing with them to, to buy up U.S. farmland? We need agricultural land reform. We have to start challenging the problem and changing the narrative. And we need Republican politicians to not be afraid like they have been. They most certainly have been. That was a great summary. And you know, uh, Mark Morano, I've not had you on my show before, so you, you don't know this, but you're singing my tune because I have been <laughs> talking about all this idea, the idea that the people actually do have the power in our country, especially if they choose to use it. And I truly believe on COVID, on climate change, on immigration, on border security, on dozens of issues, the majority are right with us. People are waking up. They are waking up on issue after issue after issue, and they're looking for a means to express that, a means to stand up for their freedom, and, and they need leaders. People, you talk about the school boards. Those were brilliant movements that got started where you had the, the parents just showing up and saying, you're not going to mask my kid. You're not going to teach him, my little Tommy, that he's really a girl. You're not going to do any of these things, but it takes showing up. It takes persistence, it takes grassroots, and everyone finding their lane, finding their way, and pushing about it. And I'm, I'm going to jump around a few things. We do, by the way, toward the end of the show, uh, we give our audience, we have a, a microphone, we pass it around so the audience can ask a few questions, um, and we're not there yet, So, but soon we will be. Um, but I, I want to say on that subject, there is... It is not, a t I think people watch political movements and they think, well, there's going to be a great leader who emerges, one person, one, you know, president or a member of Congress or Senate or someone who will lead us on. And the fact is we do need leaders, we need outspoken leaders, but no one person is going to save America. It's going to be, and, and save us from the climate change tyranny. It's going to be people who take the time to, to absorb yeah. the facts you went through, that went through about how there is no climate emergency. There is no climate emergency. We do not have to get rid of CO2. We do not have to get rid of fossil fuels. With facts and data, tell their 25 best friends every day, it's an activism that informs people, yeah. and then they will say, and therefore, because now I know the facts, I'm not going to do what you're saying anymore. There has to be that it is a large rising up. It's not going to happen overnight. But I do feel like the one little benefit of Biden, you don't have to agree he stole the election, but I don't believe he was elected in 2020. Whatever you think, the one benefit is this administration has been so tyrannical, so extreme, that people are starting to wake up and realize we're, we're losing our freedom in this country. So I love your advocacy of just activism, getting informed, spreading it around, and then and being active wherever you can. On the uh, point about Biden's impending, I get he actually did uh, 
filed, he wrote one executive, issued one executive order that does relate to this digital currency issue. Yeah. And uh, he, at this point, he just asked the uh, Treasury Department to explore, develop, whatever his words were. I had an expert in my show a couple days ago talking about that, just saying, this is you know, headed right to communism. I mean, you just, when the government can then, and I did not know the fact, I want to explore briefly with you, you said MasterCard is locking yeah. arms with, with whom to get this credit card that keeps track of with, your... With the United Nations. In fact, I just posted at Climate Depot today, my website, uh, an excerpt of that chapter. It's currently the headline. You can read all about the COVID climate connection and the morphing of COVID lockdowns to climate and energy lockdowns. It's truly amazing. I mean, people watched what's happening, watched what happened in Canada on COVID, and then realized not only were they not able to press their concerns, but the government actually decided, yeah, and by the way, we are going to freeze your bank account. I mean, people, and in America, you hear people saying, well, that could never happen here. I'm thinking, I, I don't know why in the world you think that. Of course it could. Of course it could. So, Well, the, the Bank of England has a digital central currency where they're actually saying, the government will have to determine whether people are making sensible purchases. And who knows what that means? You know, are you gonna be able to buy guns? Are you gonna be able to buy a gas powered car? Are you, are you gonna be able to buy meat? Because all of those three things will be deemed insensitive, uh, not sensible by, by the woke mob that's out there essentially behind this. It's breathtaking. Again, I'll mention on your book, I loved how you ran through, because I, I think to get people really inspired they have to get really clear there's no physical climate science emergency. There's no climate emergency. It's not a scientific belief to say that. It's untethered to facts. And therefore, we don't have to make the radical changes the climate uh, extremists are demanding we make. And we have to see their, their agenda as political. It's not scientific. It's political. One key point there. Not, I actually make the point, not only do we, not only if we actually face the climate emergency, everything they propose would have no impact on the climate. We'd all be doomed if we actually had to rely on the Green New Deal, the UN Paris Agreement to save us. But I make the, op, I make the, the further point that if we actually face the climate emergency, what you would want is economic growth, wealth creation, technological revolution, and you'd want to keep doing what we were doing in the Trump administration. Trump presided over a huge drop in carbon dioxide emissions because of efficiency, technological advancement, the, the replacement of fracking, natural gas fracking of coal, which was higher emitting CO2. So if you actually were worried about it, you would do the opposite of what the Green New Deal is. The last thing you want is Soviet style central planning and control, because if you look at the countries that lived under that, they had the worst environments known to man in the history of the 20th century. But of course, the other side, you always, you're asking what the other side would say in defense, they'd say, well, communism wasn't done correctly in Eastern Europe. Socialism right. wasn't done correctly in the Soviet Union. We can't count it. And by the way, that same attitude, we now have Trump's horrible pick of Surgeon General Jerome Adam and Deborah Burks, uh, the, the White House coronavirus coordinator, and Fauci has implied this, that we were never actually locked down in the U.S. The fact you couldn't go to church, the gym, weddings, funerals, the fact your kid's school was canceled, the fact that small businesses were... Never, it wasn't that bad. We weren't really locked down. Just the same way they say socialism was never really tried. But you can't look at the past failures and judge it because it really wasn't socialism. 
Mark Brown, you just, I, I'm so grateful for everything you're saying, what you're writing, what you're doing. We're going to turn to our audience in just a moment to give them a chance to ask questions. I'm going to quick do a pitch for my summit before we turn to the audience questions. Because uh, I tell you folks, it's unbelievably, it is under six weeks away. And so I first want to tell you that you can go to our website, americacanwetalk.org, americacanwetalk.org. And at the website, you can find about our summit. It is Saturday, October 15th. And on Saturday, October 15th, we have, it's a full day on Saturday. It's a Friday night event for sponsors. We have Dr. Simone Gold currently in a prison in Florida for doing absolutely nothing wrong on January 6th. She's our very special keynote sponsors um, reception on Friday evening speaker. Simone Gold will be here. I believe it's her first speech after being out of prison. Uh, and she's going to talk a lot about, she founded America's Frontline Doctor. She's going to talk a lot about COVID. And then she's in, in the future of healthcare freedom in America. She's got a whole plan on that. And talk about our justice system in America, or lack thereof. And uh, and she's a lawyer also. It's a great evening then on Friday night. Uh, Saturday, I'll just quickly run through. Sydney Powell, uh, you know, extraordinary lawyer in this country, can talk about the justice system. Uh, we have Lieutenant Colonel Matthew Lohmeyer, who wrote a book about Marxism in the military as he was experiencing it. He was removed from the military. He's raising the alarm bell about Marxism in America. We have Kevin Freeman, a fabulous local guy who has his own show. Uh, you can actually leave it up for one more second. Leave the flyer off if you would, please. Uh, Kevin Freeman speaking here, um, who is a, a, a brilliant guy and is also an expert on economics of all kinds. We talk about ESG and digital currency and, and a lot of other great important things. Uh, Saturday evening, our very special speaker is Laura Logan. She's going to be speaking uh, about her new film, uh, recently released Selection Code, talking about the corruption of the election in Colorado. Tina Peters, major featured. Uh, it's really about what occurred in Colorado. Tina Peters is speaking here. However, she does not have permission to leave Colorado at this time, so she may have to appear via video. Uh, Frank Gaffney, longtime friend, a friend of this show, Center for Security Policy, talking about national security and a wide range of, of choices um, of, that America is making and what the consequences are. Gordon Chang, a nationally renowned, internationally renowned speaker on China and their agenda toward America. Uh, Reggie Littlejohn, who is an extraordinary expert related to China, what they do with the social credit score there, what's coming here in, in very similar terms. Dr. Richard Bartlett, a Texas physician, a friend of our show many times, who was early on in COVID saying, you don't need to panic, we're gonna be okay. You, and he went through the various treatments that were very efficacious, didn't have to wait to have our, um, our vaccines, which are not so great. Uh, Sharona uh, Bishop, who is also Colorado, uh, had the FBI break down her door because she was supporting Tina Peters. Uh, we have a new speaker, Raymond Ibrahim, been on the show many times, an expert on Islam. If you think that the Islamic threat has gone away just simply because we haven't had a recent problem, uh, allow him to correct your perception. He's a brilliant, brilliant scholar. Uh, we have a gentleman who's from the Texas Public Policy Foundation talking about climate change and fossil fuels, uh, and he, Jason Isaac. Um, and then we have Sam Faddis, longtime CIA operative, brilliant writer, thinker about America's strategic place in the world. Uh, Evan Sayet, who is a really entertaining and funny and serious thinker, a former liberal, former Hollywood liberal, who has a book out, The Woke Supremacy, trying to explain wokeism. And finally, our newest and last speaker I hadn't mentioned up until today, uh, but she is going to be joining us, uh, Christy Hutcherson. She founded a women 
Fighting for America, WFFA. She does border. She does videos from the border telling what's really happening down there. It's going to be a power-packed day. You do not want to miss it. You can come back to me now. So go to our website, americacanwetalk.org. Check out our summit. Please come. Last year, we had people from all around the country. Love to have you all come into Texas. It's a great weekend to be here, October 15th. And now I'm done making my plug for my summit. And now we shall turn to our audience. Someone has a microphone. Okay, we do have a microphone. And so we have questions, I hope, for you, Mark. If, you, uh, if people have questions. I only have 25 more questions, so if they don't have any, I do. But, okay, there we go. Um, uh, thank you so much for all this great information. Does your, uh, any of your books talk about um, what, what, what really is the problem in all of this is that we're turning away from our creator and uh, we're worshiping our creation, not, and, 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 and I don't know, we're just really, uh, everything is anti-God. And so, do you talk about that at all? Because I think, Yes. We can't do this without him. So uh, yes, love, love your fact, thoughts. The, the first book, The Politically Incorrect Guide to Climate Change, I dealt with how climate change is a religion and a little bit of that in the green. And, and I think it was Michael Crichton who said that climate change and environmentalism is the new religion of urban atheism. And in our film, Climate Hustle, we featured Kevin Sorbo. And we go through the whole thing about how literally they, they're hijacking religion to turn it into this sort of environmental worship. I went to the uh, New York City Climate March and we filmed the people doing earth worship prayers. Oh. And so it's a bastardization of religion. And it's, uh, you know, as, 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 we, as we look at this here, it's, there's actually, they have, they have all the mimicry of it. They'll have a, um, a Noah's Ark, except it's like an Ark of the Covenant of the Earth Principles. They believe in Gaia, which is a mother earth. And so it's a complete, like, it's not so much that they left religion, it's they've replaced it. People like Harrison Ford, who's a big climate activist, the actor, he said, found in nature a kind of God. And this led him to be a climate activist, pushing all of these Marxist solutions upon us. So it's that absence of God, I think, which fuels a lot of this movement. And that's a great question. And yes, especially in Climate Hustle 2, we have a whole section on that. And in my first book, I dealt with it, particularly as it relates to the climate agenda. And there's some other, you know, there's other touches of it throughout. Uh, I'm so glad you asked that question. It is an amazing thing for people watching. Have any depth of uh, uh, commitment to the scriptures, to the notion that God is a creator, and that somehow a, a little particle that is whatever the minute portion it is, is, is powerful enough to destroy and, and destroy God's creation. I mean, it's absurd to, to anyone who... who deeply embraces the idea of God having created um, life and earth and man and all. Uh, you know, we're almost out of time, and I meant to ask you, I want to be sure that I give you this chance for people to learn more about you, get your book, read what you say. Would you please tell us how they can do that? Uh, well, you can go to climatedepot.com. That's my website. I'm also at Twitter, at, at Climate Depot. Uh, the book is The Great Reset. It's available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble. You can also find a link at climatedepot.com. It just came out August 30th, the Great Reset book. So it's a um, the number one in several categories here. About 80 pages of footnotes, and I try to use mainstream sources. This just breaks it all down. COVID climate connection, how the World Economic Forum is trying to essentially piggyback on the COVID fears, add climate, keep these emergency declarations going, make the once free West more and more like one party rule China. That's the simplest definition of what the Great Reset is. 
Mark Morano, I cannot thank you enough. What a great, great talk today. Great to have you on the thank show. You. Thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Debbie. Appreciate it. Hope to be in person one day. And thank you for tuning in to America Can We Talk. I'll quickly tell you, next Thursday, a week from today, we have two speakers in studio. We have uh, Frank Gaffney and the gentleman who's now taking over Center for Security Policy, Tommy Waller. They'll be here together talking about all sorts of national security issues. We have a whole host of lineup of, of fall speakers on the Thursday shows will be in studio. Um, and I want to thank everyone for tuning in to America Can We Talk every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time. I do this show to speak up for America because America matters. And I will talk to you next time.